HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. With more than 30 weekly podcasts, HRN has something for every food lover. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is supported by Samuel Adams, Brewing the American Dream. Since 2008, the program has provided business coaching, advising, and loans to thousands of entrepreneurs. Hello to everyone. I'm Louisa Caston, your host for Let's Talk About Food, a podcast devoted to first-person storytelling where food plays a pivotal, if not a starring role. Everyone has a food story. Food is at the heart of human connection, at the center of love, of ritual, of need and want, and most of all, food creates community. And community is what we crave. Welcome to our special edition of Let's Talk About Food. We recorded five wonderful female food and beverage entrepreneurs at a live event at the Sam Adams Brewery in Boston in late May. Each of these entrepreneurs has been part of a very special mentorship program funded by Boston Beer Company. It's called Brewing the American Dream. They share deeply personal stories of grit and focus and how belief in yourself and your product, against all odds, is the secret sauce of a successful entrepreneur. Let's get started. Now I'm going to ask our next entrepreneur to come up, and she is Emily Melgard of Fieldstone Kombucha. And please welcome Emily to Let's Talk About Food. So, Emily, tell us your story. (laughs) Tell us why kombucha. Um, So, I started Fieldstone Kombucha in February of 2019 and spent most of that year learning how the heck you start a business, particularly a food or beverage business, because I had no idea. And um, it's really complicated, it turns out. There's a whole lot of permits and regulations and classes and certifications that you need. So, that took a long time. Um, But... It started with an interconnection of a lot of things. I was changing careers. I had moved from London, England, back home to the US, where I had really never been an adult. Um, I was an international relations analyst focusing on Africa and uh, religious extremist groups, which was slightly soul-destroying. 
Um, so I wanted to work on something positive. I wanted to work on sustainability and food. Um, and I didn't know much more than that. So I worked a little bit on training in project management. I worked on getting certified in sustainability. I um, worked for a farm for a while. And when I was introduced to kombucha, which was um, in my best friend's kitchen, she was making it on her kitchen counter to help boost her, uh, her immune system while she was pregnant, I absolutely fell in love. It was so good, it was, it was no flavorings, nothing. She handed it to me and she said, you might not like this, we might have to add some juice to it. It's kind of funky. And I said, give, please give me more. I, I need to have this in my life, it's delicious. It was effervescent, it was slightly funky, slightly sour, it was at the same time slightly sweet, it didn't need any flavorings, it was delicious. I went home and I bought some in the store and I nearly spat it out, it was gross. Um, I tried pretty much every brand I could find and I couldn't find a brand I liked. So I started making it myself and I did not have a job. I was applying desperately to every job I could look for, but because I was switching careers, I had an interesting mix of skills. And so I got to the final stage, it was me and one other person about 15 times. Um, and they always picked the other person. I felt a little bit like a hexagonal peg trying to fit into a square hole. Um, and <laughs> I had too many odd bits and ends for them to think that I was good. So I'm like, all right, well, I like this kombucha. I've convinced my family to drink it and enjoy it, and I'm developing these cool flavors. And it started growing, and my friends were drinking it, my, my extended family and their friends and everybody, and it was just growing. And I'm like, well, wait a second. I I'm not making any money, and yet I'm making this, and I'm giving it away, and I'm coming up with all these flavors, and I don't have the money to do this, but everybody seems to really like it. So I sat down, I ran some numbers, and they looked really good. They were not right in any way, shape, or form. They were very bad numbers, but they told an interesting story, and I said, well, maybe I don't need to convince somebody else to hire me. Maybe I can start my own business and make a product that I'm really enjoying and that other people seem to enjoy, and I can hire myself, or I can be my own boss. And screw these other people that don't seem to think they want me. And so that's what I did. Um, like Alicia, I had no plan B. Um, I dove headfirst off the deep end, and I have never looked back. And it's been awesome. <laughs> wow. Did you consider anything other than kombucha? Not really. Um, I, in my kind of wanderings of, okay, so maybe I start my own business, I really liked working with the local farms. Um, I'm from the south coast of Massachusetts. It's the farm coast. There's so many farms around. There's so many amazing farmers and the agricultural culture is just so fabulous that um, I wanted to be a part of that. But I had tried being a farmer and I didn't really enjoy it. Um, so I knew I wanted to work around agriculture but not like grow everything myself. And I, from talking to other farmers, I know that it's really, you don't get good profit margins 
um, on produce and non-processed things. So I thought, well, maybe I'll make a value-added agricultural pro product. And I consider my kombucha a, a value-added agricultural product. I work with the local farms to source the flavoring ingredients. I have seasonal flavors. I rotate them. So it's really a showcase of New England seasonal flavors um, in kombucha. And that's... That's, that's how it started. <laughs> I mean, New England seasonal flavors and kombucha is a little bit of an oxymoron. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Um, but it works. I have a strawberry rhubarb flavor on right now. Um, anybody here with us in person, it's the garden blush flavor. I think there's a couple left. Um, I have a blueberry raspberry thyme flavor in the summer. Um, a raspberry lemonade. And then I transitioned to cranberry rosemary. Um, I'm working on a spicy cranberry flavor. I do an apple flavor. This year, hopefully, if I can get the flavor balance right, there's going to be a pumpkin. Um, I do chai spice in the wintertime. Oh, no, not pumpkin. Not pumpkin. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be different, though. It's, I, I'm going to put a twist on it. Um, and I'm working on a pine one as well because um, it, this one's kind of special to my heart. My, my dad, so my parents have a little hobby farm. And I grew a lot of the initial ingredients that I would put into the kombucha when I was developing the flavors. And my dad likes to go on what we call walkabout in the, in the evening to kind of see the farm and see the progress made during the day and see how things are growing and where the birds are and, you know, what new groundhog hole has appeared that we don't want. And one of the iconic images I have in my mind is, is him walking down a lane we have that's, covered, that's lined by pine trees. And so this is going to be a late winter, early spring flavor of pine and orange, and it's going to be called Walkabout. <laughs> and is it a business now? Yes. Does it feel like a business? It does. It probably, it took probably into my first sale when somebody handed me money <laughs> for something that I had made and wanted to share and had up until that point been giving away because I didn't have my licenses, I couldn't sell it. I developed my recipes by putting it on my porch and telling my mailing list, you know, come and get it. I can't charge you, but please give me feedback. That's how I came up with the recipes. And that first sale was like, okay, like this is professional now. There has been an exchange of money that I earned with what I made. And that was amazing. <laughs> it's, it's quite a jump to go from your earlier career, which is really about analysis and abstract ideas and communicating those ideas to something that you can put in a can. Yeah. <laughs> what, do, what do your former colleagues, how do, you, how do you tell your former colleagues about this? They think I'm a little crazy, um, which I probably am. They're not the first ones or the last ones to tell me that. Um, but when I, I kind of fell into that career, um, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do when I left university. Um, I, have a I have a degree in religion and a degree in international relations. What, what do you do with that, except go to seminary or become a university professor? Um, and by becoming an analyst, I discovered that I am a very tactile, very practical, very like solutions-minded person. And so sitting behind a computer screen, analyzing other people's problems, 
and writing about them and sending them out into a black hole was not a good career choice. So I decided if I was going to be happy, I was going to have to just up and change. So I did. <laughs> and I'm very happy for it. <laughs> wow. Amazing. And when you started doing this, did you have any expectation that you would actually launch yourself on this career as a sort of food and beverage entrepreneur? Or did you, I mean, sometimes you do things and they're a project, and this is mm -hmm. what I'm doing right now. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you do them and you say, and this is what I'm going to be doing. It was more the latter. Um, I, I decided that I was going to start a business, which I had had before that no, never an ambition to do. Um, but it kind of grew in me while I was looking for a job and growing as a person and failing to find a job. Um, and when I started it, it was, okay, this is what I'm now going to do. This is my career. This is, I'm going to make this work. This is what my life is going to be. And I am very happy with that. As well you should be. So I have a question about kombucha, because you have all of these flavors. So I'm a food person. So I'm thinking, is there like a perfect sort of uh, flight dinner that you would, I mean, do you, in your mind, do you, do you pair the kombuchas with food? What is? I don't really. Um, I, I'll drink them with pretty much anything. I, it's, it's more I, I develop the flavors around what's in season, um, and then how, and I, I actually have developed several uh, cocktail recipes ar around the kombucha as well, um, but pairing it with food, it, I haven't. Um, I know that I drink it with a meal, um, and a lot of other people do, but it, that I think would depend more on personal taste, unless I was better trained in pairings. Um, yeah. How many other things you need to learn to run a business besides the product itself that you're making? Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah, every, all entrepreneurs in the room, I think, will agree. I'm seeing a lot it's, of heads nodding in agreement. I, I now know a whole lot about tools because I had to put together all my own equipment and I had to build tap systems. I, kegs used to scare the bejesus out of me because I was afraid they were going to blow up. I now cart them around in my car. Um, I'm a fairly good plumber at this point. I, <laughs> I consider myself almost a chemist because of all the different testing things that I get to do. I, I know my way around insurance and taxes and legalese a lot better than I used to. Like it's, I, I set out to make kombucha and there's this whole set of like planetary rings of other things you need to know. And when you're an entrepreneur, you, you have to do all of them to be able to get to the product that you're making and make that a success. <laughs> well said. I, I have to say, I used to be in the restaurant business and after I had two restaurants, I had this epiphany. And I remember saying to my, my then husband, um, it's not about the food. <laughs> it's about the people. Mm -hmm. It's about the people who make the food, who serve the food, who eat the food. The food's the easy part. Yes. <laughs> and I'm sure that's how you feel. Thank you so much. This Thank, is you. Thank you. Thank you.
This episode is supported by Samuel Adams Brewing the American Dream. They do amazing work providing business coaching, advising, and loans to thousands of entrepreneurs. Jennifer Glanville, the Director of Partnerships at Sam Adams, said it so well at the event. The best work I've ever done has been part of our Brewing the American Dream program. This program was started in 2008. Our founder and brewer, Jim Cook, when he started Samuel Adams almost 40 years ago, there were two things he needed access to to start his business, capital and nuts and bolts business advice. So we're in year 14. I'm really proud to say that we have loaned $79 million in the last 14 years. Along with our, our nonprofit lending partners, you know, what's amazing to me is the repayment rate for those loans are 98%, which is well above the national average. Um, we work very closely to make sure people are getting the right amount of money for the right projects, so they're getting the coaching and the capital together, which is incredibly helpful. Um, we have coached and mentored over 13,000 people in 14 years. We've also created and retained almost 10,000 jobs, and that number has actually stayed the same over the past two years with the pandemic. So we're also really proud of all these small businesses. The resiliency that they've shown over the last two years is incredible. Hi, I'm Harry Rosenblum from the Time for Lunch podcast. And one way that Heritage Radio Network has impacted me is it has given me the opportunity to sit down and talk with hundreds of people from all over the world and different cultures. And it is always eye-opening the things that I learn and get to share on Heritage Radio Network. HRN is home to transformative exchanges about food. We hope our diverse lineup of shows opens your eyes educates, and empowers. Join us during our summer membership drive by donating and becoming a member. Members play an essential role in keeping nonprofit food radio on the air. Go to heritageradionetwork.org donate to become a member today. Thank you for your support. Now, back to our interviews with these inspiring entrepreneurs. Let me now welcome Heather Younger of Top Shelf Cookies. Heather, would you come up? I've never been playing. For those of you who are not here, I want you to know she's a walking billboard for Top Shelf. (laughs) In my defense, I just came from the bakery. Heather, tell us about Top Shelf and how you ended up in the cookie business. <laughs> it's a weird story. Oh, good. Um, so I, to echo the sentiments of many of the, the lovely ladies that were here before, I mean, I started baking cookies. I think I've been baking cookies my whole life. I mean, it's one of my first memories. I grew up in a single-parent household. My grandmother would take me every weekend, and Friday night she'd pick me up. We would go to the grocery store. We would have dinner at her house, we would leave the butter out, and Saturday morning we would make the cookies. It's one of my favorite memories of my whole life. So I had started making cookies when I was out of work for a short time because what else was I gonna do? And um, I started bringing them to the bar that I go to before Bruins games. I am a 20 year season ticket holder to the Bruins. Yep. And uh, which gives you an idea that I'm much older than most of these ladies. But anyway, (laughs) and it kind of became a weird superstition. I started making specifically one season a cookie, which I call the black and gold. I had found this amazing black cocoa, and I really wanted to use it. For people who don't know, 
Bruins colors, black and gold. Absolutely. And I would bring it to the fours before every single game. And the Boston Bruins won the Stanley Cup that year. So obviously, I had a big part in it. I haven't gotten the Stanley Cup ring. It's fine. I'm still working on it. But it started to really pull up steam. And I started to realize that more than the people, there were more people than people that loved me that said they love my cookies. I mean, it was random. I'd go into the bar and they'd be like, we're going to win tonight. The cookie lady's here. And so it went from like the first game of the season bringing like a dozen for the girls that work behind the bar to literally 12 dozen the night the Bruins won the Stanley Cup in 2011. Wow. Yeah. Which was, it's funny now because I made much more than 12 dozen in my bakery today, but... Um, yeah, so that's how I got into the cookie business, which is weird. <laughs> it, it is a little weird. I'll, yeah, uh, absolutely. I, I will accept that. But how did you go from making Bruins cookies to making a cookie business? So this is where I'm going to try not to embarrass Jennifer Glanville a little too much. But Jennifer Glanville is a regular, was, was a regular at the, the Fours, which is no longer with us um, Rest in peace, Fours. But I had kind of said to her, like, geez, I'm really I'm thinking that I want to do this. And I didn't know what Jen did at Sam Adams. She's like, you should do it. Sam Adams will help you. I'm like, what are they going to do? Yeah. <laughs> well, they've become very good friends to us and big supporters. So um, we've had a lot of support through Bring the American Dream. And Sam Adams is a customer of ours. But yeah, I just, I eventually started, what I did was once I said it out loud, you become responsible for that decision. My dad knew it was something I wanted to do and I took him to a Bruins game one day and I distinctly remember him and Glanny putting me in a corner at the fours and saying, I want to help her, don't you want to help her? And I was like, I gotta do this because they're never gonna leave me alone. And I went to go work at a shared kitchen and I said, I've got $2,500 and when this runs out, you either decide that you're doing this or you decide to go back to a cubicle, which to me felt like jail. I was miserable. Um, and I wanted to make my own schedule. Ha ha. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and um, so I started Top Shelf Cookies. I worked out of a shared kitchen and I took, I, I'm very slow and steady wins a race. I started my business a lot later than some of these ladies. So I had to make sure I was a little more careful. Yeah, I didn't have as much time. <laughs> so when you say you were careful, what does that mean? It just means that you know I would take on one thing and I would master that before taking on another. So um, you know, at first it was just special orders, and then it became farmers markets, and then it became e-commerce, and then it became some wholesale, and um, now we have a retail bakery, which I built in the middle of a pandemic. So <laughs> go figure. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what was that like? Don't recommend it. <laughs> um, strangely enough, uh, that was my 2020 goal. We were going to move out of the shared kitchen. I was there a little too long. I think a shared kitchen is a great place to start. You need to be moved along. Um, so my big 2020 goal was that I was going to spend the first three months of the year really not going from event to event and not taking every pop-up that was offered to me, and I was gonna try to be a little more strategic, because I'd been at this for a while. I had a little extra money. I had actually won the Sam Adams Brewing the American Dream pitch competition in the fall of 2019. Um, on March 11th, 
I, I, I know that day. Yeah, it's yeah. significant, whatever. I, um, I proceeded to look at six to eight retail spaces in the Boston area. The first one I was in love with. I just knew it was our home. It was a mile from my house, great neighborhood for us. It was big enough that we could do everything to support the business, um, and the door would be open. Because um, we had been traveling around like nomads, you know, wherever a tent would take us, Cookie Carnies, that's what we used to call ourselves. And, uh, and as I went out to my car for the first spot, I got a text. Can you put our weekly order on hold? Sure thing. By the time I had hit the sixth or seventh place, I'd lost 80% of my business in hours. Not days, weeks, hours. And I thought, well, we had a good run. <laughs> And uh, what happened next was pretty amazing. Turns out, mail order cookies are a decent thing to be selling during a pandemic. <laughs> Not part of my Both business plan. <laughs> <laughs> but I had taken the grant that I had won in the fall previously, and I had really put it into our online channels. And one of the pieces of advice I got in content marketing was to talk about what I'm passionate about. And I'm passionate about small food businesses in Boston. We have amazing entrepreneurs in Boston. And I'm really proud to be part of that community. And so I wrote a blog and I said, I'm scared. I don't know what's going to happen. I had lined up all this work. We had gotten Boston calling, like unbelievable. We had contracts for, you know, we had, had things set up for the Boston Marathon. Like this was going to be, 2020 was going to be our year. And I wrote a blog and I said, I don't know what happens to us. It was shared a thousand times and it really resonated with people. And I think people felt very out of control and they wanted to help, they wanted to do something. And, you know, I hope they buy our cookies because they liked us, you know, but we ended up replacing all of our lost revenue with our online revenue. Unbelievable. And so I called our, the, our now landlord, the first space I looked at, in June of 2020, and I said, I, I want a lease. And he goes, what? <laughs> um, and I said, I, this isn't going to last forever, and I need to keep moving forward, and I don't quit. And I signed a lease. I raised almost $150,000 in an investment crowdfunding campaign, and I built out a shop. And we opened in April of last year. Woo! That's a pretty incredible story. I sometimes forget about that, actually, because like, I've been so much in it. Yeah. And I actually, uh, just a couple weeks ago, had a, a drink with Jen, and she goes, you know you built a shop in the middle of a pandemic, right? And I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. Because <laughs> it's like, sometimes you just move, you just move forward, you know? And I think like there's a, a neon sign in my shop, which we thought would be much more Instagrammable, but it doesn't matter because it means something to me. And it says, don't crumble. Like, don't quit, don't give up, keep moving. And that's something that we live by. We don't, we don't crumble. Well, that is an entrepreneur's tale. Thank you so much. Thank You're you. Welcome. It's a great story. Thank you. Thanks so much to Carlene Ogaro from Delectable Desires, Alicia Haddad from Alicia's Spice Co., Hamdala Olana Madube from Goody Crunch, Emily Melgard from Fieldstone Kombucha, 
and Heather Younger from Top Shelf Cookies. And special gratitude to Boston Beer, Brewing the American Dream, and Sam Adams Brewery. Thanks for listening. Let's Talk About Food is produced by The Food Voice. I'm producing, along with audio director and composer Mike Moss of Soundscape Boston. You can find more of our stories at our website, letstalkaboutfood.com, and on Heritage Radio or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's Talk About Food is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.